0: Welcome to Medicine for Good podcast. I am your host, Dr. Julieta Gabiola, clinical professor of medicine at Stanford University. What drew me to medicine was the science, the innovation, and the promise for a comfortable life. But what has kept me in medicine are the real people, their lives, and their stories, as well as the translation of medical innovations into practical applications. This podcast will explore experiences beyond the walls and corridors of the hospital, laboratories, and clinics. I invite you to share in our journey seeking to preserve and improve our lives, our sense of balance, and our well being. Welcome to Medicine for Good podcast. Today, we will discuss obesity part three, which is exercise prescription for the prevention and treatment of obesity. What is the best prescription for weight loss? Is it pills? Is it surgery? Is it lifestyle modification? For obesity, we know lifestyle modification is key to not only prevention, but also the treatment of obesity. And then when all things fail, we can recommend drugs and even surgery if appropriate. Physical inactivity is related to weight gain and increased cardiovascular risk in both men and women. Research have already proven this direct relationship again and again. Unfortunately, heart disease keeps rising despite improvement in the diagnosis and medical intervention. One in three deaths, for example, is from cardiovascular deaths in the United States, and this is really totally preventable. One death occurs every 39 seconds is due to coronary artery disease and one stroke every three minutes. And that's really astounding. 25% of Americans have at least one chronic disease and 85% of healthcare spending is combating chronic diseases and their comorbidities. For example, 25% of the US population do not even engage in physical activity. The reason, the main reason, oh, we're too busy. My schedule is so full, I just don't have time for that. And yet, the average American spends 30 hours a week watching television or streaming on the computer. And with remote work now, this percentage will be even higher. Our task. As medical professionals, then is how can we then inspire and engage patients or people before they become patients to start a healthy lifestyle? We as doctors fall short on motivational interview, yet we're so quick in giving out prescriptions. For example, less than 5% of doctors advise patients to engage in physical activities and exercise during their visit with the doctors. Are we totally missing the boat? So last podcast, we tackled dietary approaches to obesity. Today, Medicine for Good has three guests to help us explore this topic because exercise is an important adjunct to dietary approaches to obesity. It helps sustain the weight loss. It helps build body mass when lean mass and fat are shed off. It is even an important adjunct during medical and surgical treatment for obesity. Weight loss is only one reason for exercise, but exercise and physical activity also makes people feel good by improving mood and focus. It lowers blood pressure and cholesterol and inflammatory markers, and it improves diabetes control and insulin resistance. So let us welcome Judith Legaspi, Mark Monet, and Drew Versellino. To help me highlight the importance of physical activity and exercise for our health and wellness beyond just weight loss. Welcome, and I'm truly honored to have all of you in my podcast today to share your practical experiences. Judith Legazpi, talking about self-care and self-compassion, Judith represents all that. She discovered boot camp, strength training, and high jogging a few years ago discovering this and herself. And here's the picture before and after. It will be shown later. She found joy in exercising. Mark Monet has been a personal trainer since 2013, specializing in weight loss, running, and stretch training. He's a co-owner of On Your Mark Worldwide, an online health and wellness business mastering movement and mindset for a healthy planet. Drew is an awesome chiropractor, and he has been here on my last podcast. He has passion centered to health and wellness as well. Drew started discovery coaching and teaching in sports performance and fitness realms since 2008. That included personal training, leading group classes for adult and youth athletic programs, and now caring for patients to help them achieve their goals and true health potential. He owns a chiropractic practice in Dublin, California, and he really specializes on the upper cervical region. His passion is to help people develop strength and resilience, both mentally and physically. So welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining me.
1: Thank you, Julieta, for having us on. Thank you.
0: Hey, Mark, how do you pronounce your last name? Uh, I should say Munay, but for those who are Filipino out there, it's pronounced Monai. (laughs) <laughs> okay, okay. So I didn't murder it then. Thank you. No, not at all. I'm good. <laughs> so, for a starter, why don't we share our personal experiences about physical fitness and exercise? Sure.
2: Uh, well, me, myself personally, I got into fitness. Well, I got into exercising since I was like a teenager. I got into martial arts from the age of 12, 13 years old, did martial arts up until about 17. But in that time, I also got into running, cross country, track. I also did wrestling. So I've always been a pretty active kid from junior high on up. And then even when I got older, I still participated in doing a lot of martial arts, got a little bit interested in presenting jiu-jitsu, a bit of Muay Thai. And it wasn't until I was about 26, going on 27, that I decided to make kind of a career change. I was a bartender. And then I was like, you know what? I'll try to do something healthier. (laughs) Ah, And I got into personal training. And from there, you know, I got very well educated in terms of the importance of strength training, the importance of building up muscle Understand how the human body works, mechanically speaking. And, you know, my thing is just been able to do the best I can to spread that message of the importance of how to get this meat sack that we call our bodies to be proficient as possible in terms of movement. And, yeah.
0: So what inspired you to to get into that mindset for, you know, helping others?
2: So my thing is, I've noticed... Mindset seems to be the biggest obstacle for a lot of people in terms of wanting to be healthy. One of the things I've come to realize in terms of just quantifying it, like exercise only takes up about 5% of your day if you were to do it daily. And that's not a lot. So if you you really break that down, it's like 5% of your day, it's maybe 75 minutes out of 1,440 minutes, you know? But for whatever reason, people can't seem to grasp how little that is, but how much big impact that may be. And I'm a numbers guy. So my big thing is like, If you kind of just point it out like that, like, hey, you just need to invest 5% of your day, it'll make all the difference throughout your entire lifetime and how important fitness is and how how little of a role exercise might be, but still have that huge impact. That's kind of, that's the big message I really want to spread on people. And the mindset seems to be the first big thing because the exercise, I think to me is the easy part, but convincing people and motivating people is be like, hey, this is all you need to do. Invest 5% every day, it'll be a life changer.
3: Wow, wow. Judith? Hi. Thanks for having me. So the question was, uh, how did I get into physical fitness and a uh, healthy lifestyle? There's two portions in my life. So as with Mark, actually in high school, and thank you, you reminded me because I, I forget it every now and then. So I was in martial arts. I was the first girl in, at the dojo to compete and just the competing part, just it, it, was, it was my day. So I enjoyed that lost interest in it when I went moved away to college. Fast forward to after I got married, I gained a lot of weight, went all the way from being athletic to you know, competing martial arts. And I was telling Dr. Ebiota about this. My highest was 285 after I delivered my daughter. I went through depression, PCOS, pre-diabetes, hyperplasia, pre-uterine cancer, all that just from not working out. Fast forward a little bit more, when I was taking care of my dad, his last three years of his life, he was in the hospital and I watched him struggle to stay alive. He was fit for a little bit and then stopped. And one night I was watching him on the computer, two in the morning, I don't know what was bothering me, eating carts. I mean, Filipino pastries with the butter and the sugar. And he, he finally told me, he goes, You've got to take care of yourself. If you're a single mom. you got to take care of you and your daughter. It hit me, but I just let it. Go. And he asked me to purchase a DVD. I think it's called Forks Overnight. I bought it, didn't look at it until maybe a year after his funeral. From there, it was a promise for me to get back into, just like you were saying, martial arts, the workouts, and that's where I got back into boot camp, CrossFit, power athletes. I think I lost close to about 100 pounds now. I enjoy it. And just as you said, that one hour, 90-minute portion of your life is like, it's a teeny bit. And it takes off a lot of the edge off of my life. Like any of the stress, it gives me me time. I'm just happy all over. If I miss a workout, I pretty much crash. And, and that's what happened with me during the first part of COVID. Couldn't go outside, got smoke, fire, whatever else was going on outside, of protest. Probably didn't want to do anything, but it hit me. Got to get back on. A lot of people, yeah, just like you're saying, no one understands or some people don't understand. Just the process of putting your workout clothes on to go work out. That was the biggest hurdle for me. And then driving to go work out. Past all that, it's fine. I passed all the embarrassing, embarrassing moments of my life where I was super heavy and trying to do CrossFit. I passed all that. And it's my message to a lot is don't be embarrassed because we all go through that portion. No one actually looks at you when you're struggling and you're trying to work out. If they do, honestly, I don't care. You got to put that thought in your head. is like, I don't care what you're thinking. If you see someone who's heavy, struggling, they're trying. And to me, that is hats off to you. That, I mean, it's amazing when someone tries that and they take care of their bodies. So anyway, so that's working out helps me. And if I don't do it, I get really lazy and <laughs> not happy. True.
0: were yes. you always fit? Were you were you always skinny?
1: I had a couple of years where I put on weight kind of like in... Uh fifth, sixth grade or so, but my history is almost identical to Mark's, which is interesting. Like I grew up playing football, popcorn football, did Taekwondo for a couple of years. Fast forward to like high school, college years, I got back into the martial arts, jujitsu, kickboxing and stuff, and, and really into the strength and conditioning world. I always worked out to some capacity what's interesting is that I also did uh, bartending and bar backing and, and all I could. Have, and then I found out I wanted to do more personal training and now I'm into chiropractic. So it's just really interesting to hear his story. It's like almost identical. But to think about what my motivating factor was to stay doing what I do now, or back then even, I always think about kind of like four different things. It's like fear, desire, duty, and love as the motivating factor. So Fear of ending up like people I saw, not being able to like bathe themselves and do things like that, a desire to have a six-pack, <laughs> things like that. And then uh, duty now, I see it more of as a duty to be that positive or be that possibility for people to see. Like So I challenge myself doing really difficult things, sometimes dumb things, but challenge myself to see... How I can say like, hey, if I can do it and anyone can do it, you know, it's not it's not that difficult to do. We're all human. And then for the love, like love primarily for myself, but then love for people as well. So those are kind of like my motivating factors behind doing this whole whole thing around exercise.
0: Well, for me, that's really interesting. It's like I think, Judith, you're partly Filipina then or? Yes, I'm Filipina. Oh, okay, I see. I didn't even know that. And Mark, are you also Filipino? (laughs) Oh my gosh. So I am full Filipino. And for me, as you know, Filipinos, everything centers around food, right? So we get together, food is always there. And not just a little bit, but a lot. And what is it? It's high fat, it's high carbohydrates. And if I look around, everyone seems to be overweight, right? The immigrants who came here, I bet they were very skinny. I was 86 pounds when I came here. And I've never been overweight, but I struggle to see patients who are overweight. I always feel that we could prevent this, right? So we could prevent this. And when I went back to the Philippines, I basically saw that 80% of the people that we're treating, we're treating for this main preventable diseases, hypertension, diabetes, obesity, and cancer, So all of that can be prevented by just being lean, right? And fit. So I embarked on lifestyle modification with our project in the Philippines. So not only that we're doing acute and chronic treatment of diseases, but also prevention, education, and research. So we're looking at all of these aspects. And that's when I decided I probably should really follow what I preach. And even like when I was exploring all this diet not too long ago, two to three weeks ago for our podcast, Drew, I I was struck with what my food consistency is. It was so unideal. Very high in meat. Filipinos are Mediterranean. They love carbs and sweets. And they're very sedentary. So I hope that I'm not misrepresenting what a typical Filipino background is. And I think This is with the globalization of diet. I think this is happening all over the world, not just in developed countries, but in developing countries. We used to say that malnutrition was really the primary thing. And now it's really malnutrition on another sense, obesity, right? So we're getting more and more diabetics at a young age. So I think as doctors, we are so bad in not really promoting lifestyle modification. We're so quick in writing those prescriptions and we spend really not much time in talking about lifestyle modification in every visit because the visit time is less and less. Doctors have more and more on their plate, but that's not an excuse. I think 80% of this are preventable. So we have to be on the right track, even for us doctors. What do you think? Can I just
2: add on what you were saying earlier? Sorry about that. Uh, what you were saying there, Julia, is that to me, you mentioned malnutrition. I think this is what happens when we have an overabundance. And now as technology continues to progress, it's like we have now an overabundance of intake and we have more and more reasons to be sedentary. And those two things happening at the same time, to me, it's almost no surprise that obesity continues to still be on the rise.
0: It is. It is rising. So let's go back. I mean, in- Most of these population studies, you know, the uh, prospective studies, NHANES, the Women's Health Initiative, and even the randomized clinical trials that showed that exercise really improved all the surrogate markers, like improved insulin resistance, improved glycemic control, blood pressure, lipoproteins, or cholesterol. But despite that, I think people are more and more sedentary. So how could we counter that?
1: I think one of the main things is like, just like we have an overabundance of food, I think there's also, you know, some people might get overwhelmed with the overabundance of information that's available now. And I know that at least when I've heard it working with people is that oftentimes they make up this excuse of, I don't know what to do, so I'm just not going to do anything because they hear about cardio, strength training, high intensity interval training, long distance, all these different types of exercise. Should I go to CrossFit? Should I go to yoga? Should I swim? Then they don't know where to start and then they just don't do anything. And I think obviously one thing is I'm a firm believer that what you witness and observe and kind of see as a child sort of reflects on you. That's what I grew up seeing as far as what was in my household and around me. And so it just became a part of my lifestyle. So when we talk about the, you know, it's only 5% of your day. And for me, it's no different from brushing your teeth. It's just what you got to do. But for other people, it becomes a chore. So. I'm not sure exactly what the, uh, what the way to simply address that is, but I know I definitely know the younger you can start, the better as far as having some influence on, on children.
0: I guess kids mimic, right? So we mimic. I suppose there is really such a, an aspect that you start early. And as parents, it probably behooves us to be the model for our children and as doctors be the model for the patients. But how many doctors would you see who are very sedentary, obese, who don't take care of ourselves. You know, we see that a lot, right? So let's talk about how to get started. Would it be like what you said, Drew, make it simple, right?
1: Yeah, make it simple. And you know, like, I used to do personal training. And the first thing I would always do, and now working with patients, but the first thing I'd always do is say, what's your schedule like? That's that's always the first thing, you know. I mean, obviously, you got to have a why or a reason behind what you're doing. That way you wake up in the morning and have some motivation. But if the schedule doesn't allow it because you have kids and they have activities and you got to go to work and you got to cook and you got to do all that, then you got to find out solutions to get around it so that it fits in. So that's probably where I usually start.
0: Okay. Start with the patient's schedule and preferences, right? So make it simple. Judith, how did you get started? You lost. 100 pounds. That's just with CrossFit or is that combination CrossFit and diet? It was CrossFit first
3: and then the diet kicked in after that. With CrossFit, but I agree, I agree with what Drew said for being on the extremely heavy side. It was overwhelming for me. Like I would go to a local gym. They would say, well, let me give you the 14-day free trial and let's get you on this blah, blah, blah workout. And they'll list out everything. And For me, everything, it was just information overload. and that didn't work for me. It was just too much. CrossFit, I went and actually blinded. I, I called and I said, "I'm inquiring about membership." They just said, "Just come on over, put your gym clothes on, come in." I went in totally blinded. I knew I was going to work out. I didn't know what to expect. First thing I said to them was, "Can you help me?" And then they said, "Yeah." So I didn't even know. I didn't know my workouts were going to be similar to what we did at uh, CrossFit Combo, and that kicked in. So. For me, not having too much information overload. And then what motivates me is like getting to actually for me and my workouts are at the end of the day. It's the tail end, like maybe three hours from now to do a full workout to just completely take the edge off of the whole entire day. And it is, it's just a small portion of your life. And it makes a big difference for that just teeny portion to you know.
0: And I guess how you feel after your workout, right? Mark, tell us about how people feel and their mood, uh, what they share with you after they get into the workout mode.
2: Most of them are just exhausted. But <laughs> I mean, the, big, the hardest thing when it comes to exercise is just getting it started, right? Just getting that first step going, whether just you know, that first rep is to me like the, the snowball effect, right? You start off very small and then you can kind of increase the intensity moving forward or the duration of the exercise or the, whatever it may be. But just getting it started is the most difficult part. But usually by the end, a lot of times, it's more about looking back and like, look what you did today. Like we did a volume of a total of like 400 reps, that kind of stuff. So getting it started for the workout is a huge, huge deal. What kind of piggyback right a little bit from what you guys were mentioning earlier about the how to get started. A lot of times when it comes to other clients and stuff like that, I usually ask them three basic things. How much do you walk in your own leisurely time? How do you sleep? Then we focus on the diet aspect later. But My thing is, I feel like a lot of people throughout their daily lives, stress plays a huge, huge role on everyone. And so when I talk about like leisurely walking, that's their time to de-stress. For those who are obviously in the medical field, cortisol is very anabolic to fat cells and very catabolic to muscle cells. And so my thing is find a way to de-stress yourself, know how to deal, stress management skills, focus in on that. And then the other thing is how do you sleep? And last time I checked, I think I remember seeing a stat like the average person gets like less than seven hours of sleep a night, something like that, which is incredibly detrimental in terms of both recovery, neurologically speaking. Obviously, if you do a lot of workouts and you have bad sleep, you are not get proper recovery and it's very difficult to actually promote muscle growth, things of that sort. So focus on the things that help you de-stress and focus on sleep. The exercise and the eating kind of work its way into that.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there are this, what they talk about, the four pillars of exercise, right? So that includes flexibility, strength, cardiovascular and neuromotor. How do we incorporate all of these pillars of exercise into someone's workout if they are starting, for example? Okay, I would start today. I will start with 15 minutes of workout and, and move up every week. So how would you incorporate all of that? Is it one or the other, or you sacrifice one over the other, or you could you incorporate all of those four pillars for exercise?
1: For me, I think when working on it, it's kind of important to remember that there's subtle nuances when talking about like the difference between strength and cardio and all that. If someone's really overweight, just them going for a walk is putting a significant stress on their body. So although it's not traditional resistance training in that sense, it is some significant training for them. So they can kind of get like a dual (laughs) dual effect almost from there. And then because you are walking from one foot to the other, you're you also walking on a little bit of that balance. And then from there, it gets more finely detailed, right? You can go through something like some sort of a movement screening process to make sure you have corrective exercises specific to that individual, and you can enhance their balance that way. But the way I look at it is cardio is probably, and this may go against a lot of like the big stuff out there, but I feel like cardio is one of the more important ones, as long as you're not pushing yourself to that edge where you're just simply going into the, the, the cycle of insanity of doing too much cardio. And then strength training as a way of building... I look at strength training as a way of building your flexibility because you always have to ask the question, what's the goal? I would imagine 99% of people are not trying to be bodybuilders. So you want enough strength to get around and do your daily tasks. Why not try to figure out a way how to do that where it incorporates your, your overall movement quality with it?
0: I think the, you know I'm probably the oldest in the group. And for older people flexibility and neuromotor is probably essential for us to prevent falls. So what do you think about that? So start from where the baseline of a person, you know, like what their medical background, do they have comorbidities? Do they have joint problems? Do they have back issues? And incorporate that. Are they falling? But I, you know, I truly believe in that like cardiovascular probably would be the foremost. And then you could incorporate flexibility, strength, and neuromotor activities. Yeah, I'm I'm kind
1: of curious to see what you have to say about that, Mark.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I actually put flexibility and strength training going hand in hand. My biggest thing is a lot of times in the personal training field, we have something called a PARQ, physical activity readiness questionnaire. And throughout that, you're you're usually supposed to figure out the person's activity levels, where they have any pain issues, things of that sort. And then you can usually do like a movement assessment. And through the movement assessment, you can find a lot of muscular imbalances. Things like figuring out which muscles are weak on their body, which muscles actually may lack range of motion or flexibility. So, I mean, each person is very different in that aspect. So if you're going to promote flexibility, I would also put hand-in-hand strength training behind that as well. Cardiovascular seems to be very subjective for a lot of people. And so, you know, I mean, if someone wants to run a 5K, that's going to be completely different than someone who wants to run a marathon, right? That is two different, (laughs) different levels of cardiovascular. But if your goal is to, let's say hey, I just want to get through my daily life without having to huff and puff going up the stairs in my own house, like that kind of stuff. All right. Then you can program accordingly, you know, like, all right, well, how many steps you know, do you normally know do in a day? Like a lot of people have like Apple Watches, Fitbits. You can kind of gauge a person's activity levels based on that. And of course, you want to make sure you, you properly program and stress them out just a little bit so that they're always trying to reach more and more steps, however that may entail. And then you mentioned uh, neuromuscular, correct?
0: Yeah, neuromuscular, or uh, they call it also neuromotor, so, that's for like older folks, you know, to prevent falls or to improve their uh, balance.
2: So, usually that, that, that's your strength training as well. You mentioned balance and preventing falls. Usually, a lot of times, what prevents falls and stuff like that is usually focusing on uh, training your fast twitch muscles in that aspect. So, there's two ways to train on fast twitch muscles. It's usually either go really heavy or move quickly, right? So, usually, if you're trying to train with older people, they've got to be mindful of that, what's considered heavy for them. So, again, it's kind of that. That personal aspect, finding you know, each person's subjective in terms of the resistance that you you put through. So, you know, the last thing you want to do, you don't want to make some 70-year-old person try to like squat four plates. You don't know that's 405 pounds. Don't need to do that, but you do need to make sure that the stress that they're going under is adequate enough for them to push themselves in a bit. So of course, like I said, I mentioned earlier, like every person's different. But yeah, so the goal is to not fall, have better coordination and balance, like fat focusing on the fast switch muscles. Is your best approach?
0: I see, Judith. What have you experienced when you started your CrossFit and you were 100 pounds overweight? How did you find that in terms of your physical capability, like joints and ability to move around? How is that? Share with us. It was hard at first,
3: but you know, they so they scaled my workouts according to what I can do, like with, with the weights and how much I can run, and I was always the last one running back in after the workouts, My experience, it was a struggle. But then at the end of each workout, I felt happy. It would show, you know, we would log how many reps we did at the end of the night. And it would show, this is how much you did compared to last week. And that was actually the motivation that kept me going. Because each time I went, I actually did more. And I didn't even know. I did struggle. Uh, My breathing was horrible. It felt like I was coughing up the lungs. Because, you know, I haven't done cardio in a long time. And five minutes on a bike was just, it was scary for me. And then the row machine, even, what, 50 meters, which is really sad. I kept asking my trainer, are we done yet? And he just kept saying, no, you have to keep on going. Now I can probably row a good hour. I mean, there's sometimes going and I have to ask my daughter to pull me off the row because I have a leg cramp. So you get better as you, as the more you go and yeah, you just have to keep on going. Yeah. So the answer to your question, it was, it was a struggle, but you just got to keep on going.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I, you know, my personal experience. I was never overweight, but I'm not really fit, right? So I'm very, very sedentary. And one time I said, I'm going to do this high intensity (laughs) interval training, right? So I said, walked in there, you know, and I said, I could handle this, you know, because it seems to me I was just looking, I said, oh, I could handle this. And my goodness, after five minutes, I was down on the floor, like just totally exhausted. And some of the people there were older than I am, and they were a lot more overweight. And they looked at me and they said, Julio, you have to be very careful because this might kill you. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, uh, it could kill me. And so I think fitness, uh, I underestimated because I always say, oh, I could do this. Uh, A few days ago, I restarted tennis. I said, I think I could do this again. And the last time I played tennis was 17 years ago. And I broke my arm from a fall, broke and dislocated my arm, and for 17 years I haven't played tennis. So what did I do? I got a tennis racket and a pair of shoes. Last Monday I started. Oh my God! The first 15 minutes I was puffing and puffing like this, like oh I can't. I couldn't do this. But you know, I completed one and a half hour. Of uh, course, I can't walk that the end of the day, and until today I'm like walking like an old lady. And I said, well, you know, what do you expect? Right? So I'm one of those weekend warriors. So tell me, help me. How do I overcome that? How do I overcome the fear that I can't do this? So help me.
1: Well, the uh, first thing that comes to mind, actually, you know, I've been getting a lot more into uh, reading. I've got like four books now just about breathing And by far, one of the most important things that we've noticed, if you look at the high end, like uh, extreme athletes, and then compare them to people with asthma and really bad breathing conditions, one of the things that they notice is that it's their ability to breathe properly according to the demands of the exercise. And so surprisingly, a lot of times people with asthma, they actually breathe too much Or people who feel like they're short of breath, they actually breathe too much so the oxygen can't actually get to the muscles because of this, you know, a lot of stuff with the Bohr effect and the cells and letting go of oxygen. But there's a really good book called The Oxygen Advantage. So that would be a really good book to read into. has all to do about breathing and making sure that's that's the primary focus. That's where I would kind of start with that
0: it's so funny because this person who started my tennis training again is from Cambodia. And she actually said that when you hit the ball, you take a deep breath. And then when you get ready, you breathe out, you know? So, and it's a cycle of that. And I said, well, that makes sense. You know, I probably just don't breathe, you know? like <laughs> So that's interesting. So outline like all the benefits that The people that you train tell you of the benefits of fitness and exercise.
2: Oh, I guess I'll go from there. So the biggest thing is just the overall lifestyle changes. So usually a lot of times when you want to get into fitness, you like the first step is the most difficult. But when you start telling them, like, hey, if you want these results, you need to start eating like this. Hey, if you want these results, you need to try to get like seven to nine hours of sleep. Hey, if you want these results, like, hey, you need to be more consistent with your workout. Watching that change is probably the coolest thing to see, me personally. It's like, oh, well, oh, now you're working out four days a week. Oh, now you're working out five days a week. Oh, you chose to not eat out this, this week, whatever it may be. Seeing people voluntarily choosing healthier life choices, that to me is actually really cool to watch. <laughs> you know, And then not only that, but when a client has a new goal that they weren't ever expecting, uh, and this is kind of where I got into running, I, I do like a lot of Spartan races and, and mud runs and things of like that, when they're the ones being like, hey, Mark, can I try that with you. And it's like freaking awesome. I did my job. <laughs> so watching people make very voluntary choices to improve on their health is, I think, like the most
1: rewarding thing.
0: Wow. Wow. Yeah. Drew, what do people tell you when they start their fitness?
1: I work with a few people just in the clinic nowadays, but usually the kind of what their reservations are is the overwhelm especially if someone who's, you know, kind of out of shape and they're just getting into it. So the first thing I always start them off with is just, well, you know, once we get their schedule set up, the first thing I always start them off with is just simply walking, walking for 20 to even 30 minutes a day. And doing that until they get that buildup of the muscular strength in their feet, their calves, their legs. So that way, you know, because some people will get sore just from walking a few miles a day. And I always tell people it's going to take, you know, two to three, maybe four weeks for you to adapt. But as soon as you get there, everything's going to get a heck of a lot easier. That's where I usually start people off with first and have them get a Fitbit or something they can track their distance, maybe an app on their phone uh, and start with the very, very basics because there's so much benefit simply to walking that we kind of overlook, I think, in general.
0: Judith, benefits that you had experienced? Just the
3: working out. This is the feeling I got at the end of the day and seeing my progress. What helped me was my trainer wanted me to take photos of my log and the workouts so I can use the same workouts for later on, but also to watch my progress. Just like Bill was saying, it was the very beginning. Everything was hard. My just going after a workout the next day. I would joke around. The stairs at work is laughing at me because I can't go up the stairs yet. I don't want to go take the elevator because I need to burn more calories to go up the stairs. But after a while, the pain on the legs, after leg day or whatever, that goes away. You'll, get, you'll have the soreness but that's just temporary. That's a temporary feeling and actually, those, that actually motivated me to just to keep on going. It felt like I was injured, but it's actually not an injury. So it's a good feeling that you did something good for your body. I think we mentioned something about diet. Actually, my diet kicked in halfway through the beginning, maybe the first three months. Well, I actually learned that fast food, because I used to eat that too when I was you know, really heavy, everything depends on each other. And as soon as I stopped eating those fast food meals, the Coke, the fries, and the sandwich, all that goes together. Once you start dropping off each other, you actually lose that craving and it was easy for me to switch to a clean diet. It's crazy, but just knowing that, that your body, that is like an addiction to be on fast food, that actually helped me and that motivated me to clean up my lifestyle. I just feel so much better not eating all the fast food. So all that together with the workout makes, is a big motivation there.
0: I'm glad you mentioned that because for me, the benefit I found is I'm less hungry when I work out and I choose actually the healthier food when I work out. It's funny that you mentioned that and I sleep better. And even if I start with aches and pains after I work out, I actually have less pain. So Mm -hmm. I said, go figure, right? But that's what happens to me. I actually have less pain and I could focus more. You know, like I already have like 150% energy. When I work out, I feel like I have 200% energy. So it's really phenomenal. And what I hear from patients and what I see from my patients is they have improved glycemic control with less and less insulin or less and less medication. So as they exercise, even if they haven't lost weight yet, it seems to me that their glucose levels are better without even weight loss, and then you factor the weight loss, it's even better. So I see an improvement of their blood pressure, glycemic control, and also their cholesterol. And we really don't have effective medications to rest to increase the HDL cholesterol, which is the good cholesterol. And exercise is one of the, the biggest uh, contributors for elevating HDL. So I think for my patients who have anxiety disorder they actually use exercise as part of their meditative process. And I feel that they have less anxiety, they sleep better, and their medication seems to work better. That's what I see as a doctor.
1: Yeah, I I was going to add one thing as far as uh, when it comes to motivation for people. And I think this is really important Judith, I'm just, I'm just kind of assuming with CrossFit, one of the things that's so beneficial about CrossFit and why so many people love it is the community. Yeah. You know, like I've been in classes where I was the last one or, you know, like, cause I don't know what I was doing and all that. And I've been to several different gyms, and no matter which gym I went to, there's always people cheering you on to get through it because you're all kind of there. So I feel like that's one thing that's really important about exercise is finding a good support group. And then also, how is it at home? Like, who's your you know, at-home kind of community supportive that way?
0: That's very I, interesting. Support group. Yep.
3: Yeah. I forgot about but you brought that up through the the community because I was always the last one running in. and. I would take the classes at night and you're running across. I don't know why all classes or buildings are in some creepy uh, building and tonight you're running and it's dark and I'm the last one running only when they can see me and then walking in the shadows and last one that night. And they're still cheering me on. I can hear the back. Oh, why you got it? And that, yeah, that actually is a good feeling because when you finally get into the building and like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe I actually did that even though everyone was waving for me. And, it is. It's a good
0: community. Yeah. How about intensity and repetition? So you figure out the mode of exercise is what you enjoy. You know, you start with the, the person's level, right? Their physical level of fitness. And then you find what really is enjoyable for them. And then how do you start building up the intensity, the duration and frequency of doing that? And how do you progress them to the next step?
2: A lot of that dep- depends on their fitness goals. I mean, so I mentioned earlier, like the difference between like a five k runner versus like a marathon runner. You know, you would program that differently from someone who who would be starting from scratch. And then from there, in terms of intensity and strength, I mean, I always like when I ask about goals, it's usually a balance between athleticism versus aesthetics. So, are you trying to do this to look better? Or are you trying to do this to perform better? And that's that obviously varies between each individual. But in terms of intensity and all that stuff like that, I mean, like I said, it goes back to the athleticism and, and aesthetics aspect. Don't get me wrong, there is an overlap between the two. But, you know, if the goal is to overall just lose weight, I would highly recommend definitely higher volumes of workout. That being said, you know, obviously you want to be very mindful of where the starting point is, properly programming them so that as they are getting better and doing more reps, how to actually increase the intensity or the, the weight that they're going to be using. Cause most likely a lot of times in that, in those scenarios, you know, you are increasing weight or resistance, but yeah, that's, that's where I would, again, figure out the person's fitness goals. If it's more on the athleticism, more aesthetic side first, and then move, go from there.
0: Okay. Okay. And we are almost at the end. So I would love to get your best prescription of an optimal exercise for anyone. Number one.
2: Uh-huh. Get your squats down. <laughs> okay. get, get, get all your compound lifts down first. So typical squat, bench, deadlift, however they may entail. So it doesn't necessarily have to be barbell stuff as well. So I mean, if you prefer to use dumbbells, that's totally fine. You can even use resistance bands. That's fine as well. But get all your compound lifts down. And then I'd get certain fundamental calisthenics down as well. So like I have huge, i definitely pride on like dips, glute bridges, and if you can, overhead pulls. Perfect. So that's your
0: prescription, Drew.
1: My my number one thing is I guess it's kind of centered around exercise, but breathing is by far the most important breathing mechanics. Mark hinted to it earlier, which is sleep. And then when it comes to the exercise portion, walking, running, and some form of crawling, as weird as that may sound, but make sure that you have the ability to do those things without compromising the spine. So that requires mobility of the joints and it requires a core stability. So I kind of work at it from that, from that standpoint.
3: Do this. For me, it's a combination between cardio and weight, the bar too, I like working out on the bar. For me though, that's a mental hearing the bar. It's embarrassing hearing the bar hit the ground is more as motivation for me, but yeah, a combination of weights and, and cardio, I would just, this, this, is, this is what works for me is maybe a good 20, cardio in the beginning, mix it in with weights, and then add in however long cardio I can do at the end as a closer for the, for the workout. It, that, it all depends on how I feel for the day though.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, for me, I guess I'm the last. I would say start, don't procrastinate, commit to it. I would say I would do it every day. Because on my off day, I get lazy. So I would have to do it every day. And then I would keep increasing it. And then I would like to get involved on someone that I truly enjoy. Like, for example, I enjoy dance. So it's not hard for me to go two hours dancing up and down with weights, even. So I would say choose something that you actually enjoy. And I don't think that there's anything wrong in terms of going for it just to look good because I think looking good is the first thing because when you develop this self-esteem and self-confidence and when you look good, you feel good. So any other take-home points there that we didn't cover? Believe it or not, we actually are at the end and we had 45 (laughs) minutes or more.
1: I would just I would just say like my number one thing is that you know no matter what the health issue or health thing that you're working on exercise diet and all everything in between I like this saying it stuck with me ever from a long time ago it says your health will eventually become your number one focus yep. so do something about it <laughs> and if you're gonna embark upon the exercise world. I, I would strongly suggest one, getting a community su- to support you, and two, seeking some professional help. If that's the community, that's great, but at least get someone to guide you the first little bit of the way if you're completely novice to the whole thing.
0: I'm glad you mentioned that too, because sometimes when you declare that you're going to do it, other people will expect you to do it. So, right. So when you say, okay, I'm going to start this and you tell all your friends that you're going to start it, it really makes you more committed to it. What do you think about that scenario, Mark?
2: Oh, yeah. So I think community is a huge deal in terms of just, like when you mentioned about the community of the CrossFit stuff, yeah, like you have surrounded yourself with like-minded people, right? They all want to better themselves in some way or another, you know, through exercise. And so if you can find that community who wants to do the same for you, that they want to do for themselves, like, go for it.
0: Yeah, and we mentioned, like, exercise will counter, like, the uh, loss in body mass, you know, muscle mass during uh, diet, right? So if you, people are more successful in maintaining the weight loss, if we, if they couple that with exercise, plus you feel good. Hey, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate you, Judith, Drew, and Mark and thank you enjoy life and enjoy being active thank you. thank you thank you bye thank you so much for listening to medicine for good podcast if you enjoyed the show please share with family and friends rate and review us on iTunes Spotify Amazon Acas and YouTube follow me on social media at dr jet on Twitter and Facebook meanwhile Stay safe, stay well, and stay connected. See you on our next episode.